Hey, Chase. Thanks for uh, joining us here. Oh, thanks for having me on. So uh, what stuff do you got there in the background? Well, this is our electric prototype here. <laughs> we named him Carl. So basically what Carl is, is a 1962 Kenworth LW923. And to make it electric, what we've done is put a diesel generator in it that then charges the battery bank that goes to the electric motors. So you're not actually driving off the diesel motor, you're driving off of the electric yeah, 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 it could run 100% electric if you took that diesel motor out. That diesel motor is essentially a range extender. So that's got to be pretty important for people going forward now with diesel being uh, as high as it is right now. Oh, yeah, I would imagine you'd want to try and save as much uh, money and fuel as you can. What was what was like the inspiration for uh, putting a, an old truck to work like that? Okay, so we run old trucks exclusively in our business. Actually, we started up as a trucking company about six years ago, and we started it after our fourth year of university. We had $4,000 left in our student loans, five grand left, and uh, we bought a 1969 Kenworth for $4,000. It came with truck and long log trailer. So we bought that, spent our last semester of university fixing up that old truck. We put it to work, and eventually we bought another truck and another truck, but we thought, hey, we're really doing good. We're making money. Time to buy ourselves a fancy new truck. That new truck, it was two years old when we got it, but it spent more time in the shop than it did on the road. So after six months of having it, it spent about four months in the shop. We spent it, oh, we probably lost 50 grand in downtime alone. We said, screw it. Send it back. We'll just run the old girls. Before I joined Freight Rays, I uh, was a truck driver for the Postal Service and Two years ago, they brought all brand new internationals. And even if they wanted to fix any issues on them, they couldn't because they were all under warranty. So all the trucks had to go back to the dealership for issues the first like year or two. And yeah, buying brand new trucks and having issues with them right off the bat, that, that's a good way to grind your fleet to a screeching halt. Opportunity cost is the biggest cost, like your downtime cost. That lost revenue costs a lot more than the repairs. Whether it's on warranty or not, you're like, oh, cool, I'm glad I saved $400 on this part, $500 on this warranty part, but it took two days to get into the shop, then a day to change out the part. That's three days. I just lost $6,000 because of that $400 part. It'd be better off just changing it and going. And that's at least the old trucks. We can keep them. We can repair them. A good mechanic is all you need to keep these things going. And parts are still pretty uh, easy to find. Yeah, that's actually one of the interesting things that people don't know a lot about when it comes to old trucks is the U.S. Defense Department labeled trucks after World War II as critically important infrastructure. In the event of a major war ever broke out, Cold War, nuclear war, something happens. If people don't have the trucks, people are going to die. So what they said is that if the factories get hit by Russia, all the new parts get bombed, if we have a commonality of parts, we can take all these trucks for military applications keep them on the road. So that's why you see a turn signal in this 1962 Kenworth is the exact same as a turn signal in the 81 Kenworth. And it's the same turn signal that Western Star kept up till 2006. A type 30 brake pod is a type 30 brake pod. An airline's an airline. The gauges are the gauges. Borg-Warren make the turbo for all of it. Didn't matter whether it was Cat or Cummins, Borg-Warren made a turbo. That was your turbo. It was sized. There's such a commonality in truck parts that you can still find it. Like, literally, that's the same brake pots that you would find on a brand new 2022 Kenworth. Bendix, the airline system, that treadle valve hasn't changed since the 60s with Bendix. Like, 
Yeah, well, there's the little things, but if you want to find the parts, it's so easy on the trucks because of that commonality that the U.S. military instituted. They got rid of it after basically the fall of the Soviet Union. They're like, well, we don't need that anymore. And then computers were taken over and then it branched out to all these specific parts. But the old stuff is there. Yeah, I saw your video on the, replacing the windshield on it. Um, the company I drove for that hauled military freight back in uh, between 2010 to 2014, they got us brand new 2013 uh, freight liners. And we had a big rock come up through the window and uh, shatter our windshield and we had to get it replaced. And every truck stop that we went to, they didn't have any in stock because it was such a brand new truck. Um, and your windshield in that truck, uh, you were saying that it's pretty much the same windshield for, what, 20, 40 years, something like that? Well, this one's a needle nose. So this one was a little bit different. It was unique. I think they kept that needle nose from about that windshield from 35 up till 69. And then from 69, they went to the A model Kenworth cab and they kept that up until the 90s. Uh, well, actually, you, know, you can get them up to like 2006 even. So basically from 1969 till 2006 had the same windshield. Guess how available that was in stock. Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> they're everywhere. And they're 30 bucks the window. 30 bucks gets you the whole windshield to put in the truck. Yeah, and it's just it's just a flat piece of glass. Ours, it was a specialized curved windshield. So even though they tried to guess that they could fit a... 2012 Freightliner windshield in there, the curb had been changed just a little bit and they tried to fix it with like all kinds of sealant and didn't matter. The first uh, trip out that we got it fixed, uh, went to a rainstorm and just got the whole inside of the cab wet. We probably, we probably, we probably went through like three different windshields in that, on that truck. Yeah. I think that's the problem with manufacturers nowadays is that they're all producing trucks for the mega carriers. This wasn't even a mega carrier. This was, this was, uh, they had 20 trucks, I believe. Um, no, but the trucks are being designed for mega carriers. So, yeah, yeah, mega yeah. carriers, what they like to do is they buy a truck, they keep it for four years, and then they get rid of it as soon as the warranty ends. So, they don't really plan on having these parts available. These part, these trucks are designed to work for four or five years and then be so expensive to maintain that you got to go buy a new one. Like our 1969, to give you an example of the different mindset of old, that 1969, we bought it off a guy named Bob Murphy. Old Bob bought that truck brand new when he was 23 years old, and he drove it until he retired at 71. That thing has over 4 million miles as a logging truck in BC, and he just kept one truck, he just kept rebuilding it, remaintaining it. Like, tell me what the ROI is if you can buy a truck and run it for 40-year career. You bought one truck. You bought it for $19,000 back in the day. Like, we're out to lunch now with these new trucks for small fleets and owner-operators. They're they're just being designed for mega carriers that, n- number one, they don't want the drivers to fix the parts. They're, they're not being designed. They're being designed so technicians can fix it nice and easy at the big dealerships. But that's not what the small fleets and the owner-operators and the loggers and the bush guys need anymore. They need part trucks that are simple, easy to fix. You can grab those tools on the side of the road. Mega carriers don't want their drivers to touch it. Small fleets are like, absolutely, we want our drivers to fix as many things as we can so that that truck keeps going. Because that's the competitive advantage of small fleets, is that ability to adapt and overcome. Yeah, you know, if you're a driver for a mega carrier and you break down... You're pretty much just sitting there twiddling your thumbs until the uh, record comes out to snatch you up. But, you know, I drove for a guy that owned two trucks and 
any issue I ever had, he was always like, well, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do that? And I was like, I'll do what I can, but you know, I'm no mechanic myself. Yeah. But you know, nowadays there's so many YouTube tutorials. You know how many times I've been stuck on the road, not knowing what's going on, fired up YouTube, had to figure out how to kind of get her limp back to town or fixed up enough that like, that's what the small fleet guys want. They want somebody out there. And I think as we're going to more and more autonomous trucks over 20, 30 years, it's going to be like airplanes where you're still going to need somebody to observe the truck, see what it's doing. But I think there's going to be more requirements on the driver to start doing some of those maintenance. Hey, you're acting more as a, if we have autonomous trucks, trucks are going to act as babysitters for these trucks. You're going to need to be a somewhat of a good mechanic. You know, you want the guy there. So if the airline goes, he can splice it in a new one, change it, do what he needs to do to make sure the truck stays good on the pre-trip or else there's no point in having them. Yeah, when I was in the Postal Service, if something broke on the truck, your craft is tractor-trailer operator, not tractor-trailer mechanic. So if I were to take it upon myself to fix something on the truck, now I'm crossing crafts and somebody could file a grievance against me for doing so and I would get in trouble and they would get paid. So, um, yeah, YouTube is, is an amazing, like, just uh, instead of calling it YouTube, they should just call it, like, Encyclopedia Tube. Because, like, you're right. It, anything you need to know, you type it in and there's probably 50 guys on there that have channels on how to fix stuff like that. Um, what's been something that, like, you were surprised, like, the most absolute niche thing that you found on YouTube to help you fix? There was a guy that did a full teardown of how all the electrical system worked on a needle nose truck. Like the fact that you can find somebody tearing apart and going into detail on a truck that probably less than a few hundred people own in North America. And he's giving detail on how to maintain it. Like you got the amount of old timer knowledge is uh, that's the one most valuable thing is like you got all these old timer mechanics dealing with old things from the 50s and 60s. And unfortunately, they're getting old and passing away and leaving it, but they're leaving all that knowledge on YouTube. And that has been so helpful when it comes to all that stuff. Like guys going into the brownie box. It was the brownie box that I was working on. That was it. And he was going in on how to mount that brownie auxiliary transmission to run that back and forward and the different options available for from Spicer back in the 60s. And it's like, okay, this is cool. Amazing. Um I know you're big uh, on TikTok. Um, I'm new to the platform and it's kind of scary to me, like how quickly you can literally just put anything out there and, and it spreads like wildfire. Um, I have no sense on like anything I put out. It's like, it's either hit or miss. It either does like 2000 views and then never gets any traction or we'll have over 500,000 views in a week. It just, it's, it's crazy. Um, what's your sense on like how, uh, that's the best way to like use TikTok to help your business. Oh, there's no sense to it. Do not. You will go <laughs> in trying to make sense to it. It's literally that you can post a video. It goes nowhere. And you post another video and it takes off and there's no rhyme. Or re I think it's based on a lot of how many videos are being posted at the time. What's going on for. Yeah, basically what else is going on in the background where they promote your video or not. And it's just it's a matter of chance. I've literally done this experiment where I posted the same video, no hashtag, no title. I posted the video once, one week, and I think I got 5,000 views. I posted the same video, deleted the original one, posted the same video a week later, and it got like 40, 50,000 views. Like it just, it's just all depending on when you post that video. 
I kind of did the opposite this week. I had a video up and within the first hour, it had like 500 views. But the title at the very, very top was cut off if you have an iPhone because of the notch. And so I took it I took it down, redid the screenshot, re-uploaded it, and it's stuck at like 200 views. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, TikTok, their algorithm is now figuring out what people are, or people are doing that. And now it seems to be like, hey, you've already uploaded a very similar video. We're not giving it any views. I think they cheated that, that, that system of getting around it's now gone, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how TikTok works. I just post videos when I feel like posting a video. I think people put too much thought into it. Just post a video when you feel like posting a video. It does well, it does well. It doesn't. Well, I'll post a video later when I got another idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If if it takes off, great. And if it doesn't, whatever. Nobody sees it. You know what? Sometimes I like the videos that don't take off a lot more. I enjoy the videos that don't take off a lot more now. It's a different thing because it originally it just starts it to it shows the video. If it's not hitting people's for you page, it shows it to your followers. That's who get the video instead. It doesn't hit the for you page. It doesn't get tons of views, but it goes to your followers. And I find that the people that follow and I like interacting with and their friends on there. You get better questions, comments, people on. It's it's just a better, it's a it's a different interaction than the general public because when they don't do well, it's people that just know about the truck and are they're asking very specific things about the truck. So I almost like those videos better because I'm not answering the same question over and over again in the comment section. We can get into some good in-depth debates and conversations. So Absolutely. Well, uh, this was not so positive. When you started putting the truck together, or as you still are, what's been like issues you've run across where you weren't really like, you know, anticipate, like just obviously things you, you know you need to like work on, but what's been something that like jumped out at you that like completely took you off to a different or completely caught you off by guard? Oh, there's a ton of things. There's always a few things. It's like we're building a prototype, a proof of concept. The rectification was the hard one. We knew rectification existed. We needed to get the AC from the generator to the batteries. And that's DC. So you had to get the AC to DC. And we're like, oh, okay. AC, DC rectification exists. Finding it for that size. Nobody's really made a rectifier, purpose-built rectifier, to charge batteries off a cat diesel. It's just that's, that's bigger than anybody's tried to really do it before. There's some niche things. So to solve that, we ended up ripping apart a uh, level three fast charger to take that out because the level three fast charger is essentially converting that. So we're just ripping that part out and being like, ha this is our battery charger. So one of the super fast chargers, we had to strip some of the components off of it. That one sucked. That one sucked because we had to buy a whole fast charger just to get one component. And now we found the parts. And I guess, well, we could have had those parts, but that's the biggest thing is, supply time right now anytime we'd find a part because we designed this whole truck with all the parts we needed all that and then when you'd call these companies up and be like we need that and they'd be like ah, okay we can get it to you in 2023 what they're like yeah we got about a year year and a half lead time on all the parts that you need so this proof of concept has largely been hodgepodge together so we've ordered some of big actual electric things but right now we've got a tesla motor sitting in it because we could go to a wrecked Model S and strip the guts out of that. And we're like, okay, it's not basically the kilowatt size. The power is kind of there. The input shaft is made for a car. We're going to snap that if we put any weight on that. It's not going to do 150,000 pounds of that input shaft. She'll just shear. But for 10 grand for a wrecked car, 
it'll let us get started, build it. We're really testing, can you get the diesel generator to power the batteries and flow through it? Because we're still, in theory, the lithium batteries, the battery power should just flow through without having to go into the cells. If we're finding it's going into the cells and it's cycling, we don't want the hit on the battery life. So we're going to run either a capacitor in front of it, like an ultra capac, or just a shunt in front of it. So it's going to let us play around with that over the next month or two to really see what we need on that battery side while we wait for the motors. It's We're adapting and overcoming to the supply chain building this thing. And I assume you've been watching Rich Evans on YouTube, the uh, electric, guitar, electric Garage, I believe he's called. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Are yeah, you aware yeah. of him? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> His videos yeah, have been great. Yeah. Yeah, I think anyone, anyone, t- anyone tinkering with Teslas. Yeah, anyone tinkering with Teslas. He's yeah. DIY Garage built that electric Hummer too. His videos have been fantastic. That's what I mean with YouTube. It's like, well, you shouldn't be able to find instructional videos on how to build an electric semi truck, but they're there. So these are things that are like, literally, there's so much knowledge being applied to a Hummer. Like, okay, well, we just need to figure out. Yeah, sorry, you're breaking up. I was just saying you're you're blazing quite a trail here. Um, I don't see anyone else out there right now trying to do uh, what you're trying to do. Um, so if you can make this work, I mean, you're looking at changing like entire industries with uh, this proof of concept here. I, I'd like to hope so. I, it makes sense. Everyone's been saying, I don't know why people aren't doing it. Like Nikola tried to do it. Um, Hylian's doing it, but... That's it. Those are the only two things, and they've spent billions of dollars and still don't have it. So it's made me incredibly nervous that these companies have spent... Nikola was worth $30 billion, and they couldn't do it. And I'm like, how... What are we getting wrong here? But everything is working. So that's where I'm confused. We're like, how the hell did we build a prototype? It's Everything is on this truck except for the body is basically brand new from the frame rails off. We just took an old body because I think it looks cool. But how the hell did we do this for $200,000, but a billion-dollar company had to push a truck downhill, aired up the brakes, pushed it, and rolled it downhill and made a fake video? $30 billion, you could have accidentally somehow stumbled into making a working thing. If we can do it in four months, five months, we can build a truck for two hundred, less than two hundred. How the hell could a billion-dollar company not do it? And that's what has us slightly concerned. <laughs> We're like, what did we get wrong? What are we actually going to find out? But Aim small, miss small. I, I think these big 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 companies they're they're trying to do too much, uh, and the tech isn't there, and they're also trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, they're reinventing the wheel. They're I've looked at these trucks. I've gone down. I've seen them. They've got so many sensors and wires and computer control, and they they're bragging about AI control and like you're putting too many things into the truck. Make a truck simple, make it work, and then add on the extra features later. Like. We went into this mentality of building a truck manufacturing company with the same mentality of building a race car. If you're doing a race car and you're building a custom engine, you don't change more than a few features at one time. Change one variable at a time. It's like modding a video game. Don't install 50 mods and then your video game crashes and you'll be like, I wonder why it crashed. Put one in. Does it work? Go back. Okay, now let's add the next one. Let's double check, see if that works. That's what we're doing with this truck. Take something that already exists and incrementally change little things on it. And then if something doesn't work, we immediately know. And we're like, okay, we just need to change this part a little bit. Like, it's a common sense way of doing it without a team of 30, 40 engineers making 130 grand a year to have meetings to discuss when they're having meetings. 
Yeah, yeah. Small incremental steps versus, you know, complexity on top of complexity. That's that's the way to go, especially uh, with what you guys are doing. I feel we're nuts. It, like me, you, like, does it not just seem like this is a common sense thing that, or Justin, you just want to like grab people and be like, why aren't you doing this? It's so much easier. And part of it is like, are these just job programs? Are these, uh, you know, they just get all this VC money dumped in and they don't know what to do with it? Or is it, um, are they surrounded by yes men? Nobody wants to tell them like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't have a truck without rear mirrors. No, you can't have a thousand sensors on these things because the first pothole you run over is going to, you know, wipe out half of them. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think... I think you hit the nail on the head the first time is that they take a lot of investment money and then they got to justify what they're doing for all of that stuff. And then they hire a bunch of engineers to help them. And then they're sitting around and be like, well, we, we designed the part. This is our nice thing is that we, we do have a few engineers. We got three engineers now that work for us, but they're also mechanics and can actually physically turn wrenches. So it's like, oh, we can go do this now. Take a break, guys. Or just, hey, Stop working. I'm just going to tell you to stop working. We've got this. It's, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but our, I think our biggest advantage is once we had enough to just physically build the truck, we stopped all our investment. If you, you've seen any of the comments on the video, it's a lot of people are like, where can we invest? And we have a sign-up list of like, we have over 12,000 people signed up to invest in the company, but we just said no strictly because we don't want the money because then you start getting into fancy things and how do we spend the money and like number one never don't want to take anyone's money until you prove that you can do it nicola um too many too many cooks in the kitchen too exactly exactly plus you end up making a truck that's completely unaffordable to buy because if you spend you know three quarters of a million dollars a million dollars to build a prototype well, what do you do when it's time to sell that truck? You're going to have to start again from stage one to make an affordable truck. Set yourself a budget of the prototype of what you're going to sell the truck for. Because then if we ran into options, we're like, hey, we can do this part. And you're like, oh, that part's $80,000. We can't do this part. How do we make it work with a cheaper alternative that does a better job? You're describing every single defense budget vehicle that's ever been designed. Um, I forget the name of the movie, but there was a movie about I believe it was right after the first Gulf War, they were trying to design an armored personnel carrier vehicle. And every single uh, defense contractor and senator and congressman involved in the loop, uh, they wanted to add more armor plating and then add a turret and add this and add that. And by the time they were done with it, it was just a complete, you know, worthless vehicle and uh, just completely over budget. Um so I'm being told we're running out of time here. Uh, this has been a blast, Chase. I hope we can uh, do this again sometime. Time, this one, this went by real fast. Um, where else can people find you? Uh, just on TikTok? We're just on TikTok. I mean, we got a website. I made it myself. So it's kind of crappy, but there is a website. I got to get an actual <laughs> web developer. I am not a web developer. And we're not putting any money into that because the truck. Oh, the only other problem besides too many cooks is too many hats. You know, you can't be a web developer and uh, a electric truck engineer and a mechanic all at the same time. <laughs> Apparently you can. You just don't need to ever sleep or do things on your days off. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you guys for watching. Stay tuned for more from the Small Fleet and Owner Operator Summit.